Good morning. I want to talk to you this morning about a subject that's been on my mind probably for six months or so, but I just felt like maybe in the last few weeks that that uh, subject has come to a fullness in my mind that I wanted to speak on it. And uh, if you'll pray for me that I can articulate these thoughts well uh, this morning, the Lord will be with us. I want to talk to you, uh, you could title this sermon, Busy Bodies and Peacemakers. Busy Bodies and Peacemakers. And before I get started into that, uh, you know, one of the things that has always kind of fascinated me, especially as a child, uh, is, is the concept of time travel. You know, there's movies out there about traveling through time. I mentioned, uh, mentioned the movie Back to the Future several uh, weeks ago, maybe several months ago. And movies that, uh, you know, however, you know, they make the movie out to be where somebody can, can jump in a machine and they can travel either back in time or they can travel forward in time. And I always thought that was really interesting, but you know, that's not a reality for us. You know, the best we can do to time travel uh, is to watch old home movies or look at photographs or just the memory that the Lord has given us, but we can't travel back and through time uh, or forward. But imagine if you could travel through time and, you know, the other day we were, uh, or Hank was out in the yard uh, there by the house and he found an arrowhead and I'm not talking uh, like a, just a triangular rock, you know, that sometimes we'll pick up. Oh, look, an arrowhead. Well, no, that's just a rock that's a triangle. This was just a full-fledged arrowhead. I mean, you could tell where somebody had been in there chipping it out and forming it and shaping it. And we, we talked about that, you know, that sometime years and years and years and years ago, somewhere, some Indian, I guess, had taken a rock and had fashioned that into that arrowhead. And it would have been so neat to have been able to travel back in time to see that process going on. You know, you can get on Google Earth and you can pull up a satellite image and they've got a little uh, 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 toolbar up at the top that you can slide it back and forth and it will take you back and you can see that same image uh, back through several years, maybe 15 or 20 years. So you could pull up your house and, you know, you could go back 15 or 20 years and just see how the land looked back then. But that's about as good as it gets for us. But imagine that you could travel back in time and see that Indian making that arrowhead or see... Uh, you know, whatever event that you wanted to see, people that could travel forward through time would would find things that would be mind-boggling to them, right? right? Yeah. I mean, uh, and you wonder, like, 50 years from now, what would we be able to see? You know, there's a time that if somebody traveled back, traveled into the future, and they were able to see electricity, that it would blow their mind what electricity is. You mean, I don't have to take a kerosene lantern and fire and and light something to be able to see. I can just walk over there and and flip the switch and and all of a sudden the lights are on. Or, you know, you could go through and you could talk about uh, the medicines that we have. Uh, You could go through and talk about all types of inventions that uh, that we have now that they used to not have. You know, think about the old, um, the, the lady that used to iron and she would have to take that hot piece of metal and stick it in the fire and get it hot then come over here and start ironing and she looks at your iron and she's like you just plug it up or you just take your food and you stick it in this box and shut the door and hit a button and all of a sudden it's hot these people they would their minds would be blown at at what we can do today now it's also interesting with a lot of these inventions uh some of them which are very very good there seems to always be a negative aspect to it uh, and that's because we are very good at corrupting things, right, as human beings. So you take, for example, uh, you know, uh, some sort of uh, medicine, a drug, a painkiller. 
You know, years and years and years ago, there were probably men dying on the battlefield that would have loved to have had one of his fellow soldiers give him a shot of morphine. But they didn't have it. Well, all of a sudden, this painkiller comes along and it's done great things for those that are suffering. But what happens? You have people that begin to abuse certain painkillers, right? What about the invention of the gun? You know, we talked about the arrowhead Hank found earlier. What about the invention of the gun? When somebody said, you mean I don't have to draw this bow back and aim and see this arrow wobble down through there hoping that I can hit when I'm shooting it? I've got something that's much more precise and that can be so much more effective. That's a great invention, and I'm so glad we have them. But there are going to be people that take that invention and do terrible things with it, right? So one of the things that somebody that traveled to the future might be shocked at that we have today is the technology that we have. Do you realize that if there is an earthquake in Japan right now, in the amount of time it takes somebody to type that into a computer and hit send, we know about it. Technology is amazing. What would have happened years and years ago? They would have had to have written a letter. Somebody would have had to have gotten in a boat, paddled all the way to America, gotten a letter, and then distributed. It would have taken years and years, and chances are nobody would have even wanted to go through that hassle. Because it's in Japan, we're in America, why do they need to know, right? But in today's time, it's almost instant that we can have knowledge brought to us. So with technology has come the increase of communication. And with an increase of communication, we are overrun with knowledge. And let me say this, and I hope I can say this kindly, every issue in this nation is not a national issue. Are you with me? There are issues going on that we as a nation need to handle. But every issue is not a national issue. But with an increase of communication, that is the negative aspect of it. Is that our minds are bombarded with everything that goes on everywhere. And when you have an increase of knowledge like that, it is, there is no question that in the majority of cases, that increase in knowledge is going to incite and encourage division. Because you can't hear of a certain, uh, you usually can't hear of, a, of some sort of uh, account going on somewhere without deep down inside of you kind of taking a side. It's just human nature to do that. And so we find ourselves being inundated with all this information and we find ourselves forming opinions and taking sides and turning ourselves into what? Busybodies. That's a Bible term that I want to look at this morning. Busybodies. Let's look for just a few minutes at what the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter have to say about being a busybody. In 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter... In verse 11, let me read you a few of these verses. Paul says this to the church at Thessalonica. He says, And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands 
as we commanded you. Now, Paul is telling the church at Thessalonica here that you need to tend to your own business. He is not telling us you need to have a knowledge of everything that goes on everywhere. And you need to form opinions about everything that goes on everywhere. He says you need to look at your business and to work with your own hands. Now, look over at 1 Timothy where he writes to the young preacher Timothy in the 5th chapter. In verse 13, and he says, And will they learn to be idle? Wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers. You know, tattletailing is biblical. Tattlers and also busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. Now, let me go over one more chapter here. Or go back one chapter to second, uh, one book, Second Thessalonians, the third chapter. In verse 12, 2 Thessalonians 3.12, it says, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. The definition of a busybody is someone who is uh, excessively interested in the affairs of others. That's what the term busybody means. It says, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now then then are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Do you see that? Do you see the, the, the picture that, that the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica? And he's writing to Timothy. And he says, we don't need to be a people who are idle. And we don't need to be a people who are overly interested uh, and wanting to insert ourselves into the affairs of others. But because there is such an increase in knowledge nowadays, we can't help but do that sometimes. Do you know I've about resolved to this? That by the time I've treated my wife like the Lord told me to treat her, and by the time I have invested in my children the amount of time that the Lord told me to invest, and that by the time I've gone to work with my own hands and make a living, and by the time I've sat down and studied the Word of God and, and prepared my mind to receive the things that He would have me to receive, I don't have time in, mentally for a whole lot else. Amen. Right. But if you've got a whole lot of blank time in here and you've got a lot of idle time, mm -hmm. maybe there are some things that you're neglecting that are more important. The way the Lord designed it, and as Brother Tim has said many times, the Lord's way works. The way the Lord designed it is that when we invest in our neighbor, when we love our neighbor, when we look to, to those who need our help, when we invest in the church and our lives and our families, we shouldn't have time for a whole lot of other things. But we do seem to have a whole lot of time on our hands, don't we, at times. And that lets me know sometimes maybe I'm neglecting some of those things. And Paul says when we find ourselves idle, we find ourselves turning into busybodies Meaning that we find ourselves wanting to, uh, to be overly interested in what's going on with everybody else. I hope y'all are following me. Amen. Peter writes in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter in verse 15. Let me read in verse 14. He says, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. 
For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, and their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. So Paul say, uh, Peter's saying there, if you suffer reproach for doing the things that God instructed you to do, you're happy about that. He said, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. So he's saying, if you're suffering for the sake of Christ, you're happy. He said, but no child of God should ever be caught or ever suffer for murder. They should never bring suffering upon themselves for being a thief or for being a busybody. It's interesting to me that he put busybody in there with murderers and thieves and evildoers. I don't think he takes it too lightly because he knows the danger that being a busybody can cause and the division it can cause and create. So in today's time, when, when we have the ability to know so many things about what's going on, do you know that something can happen a thousand miles away from here that has zero effect on our community, but if we get overly interested in what's going on over there and we bring that knowledge to ourselves our own community can find itself in an upheaval for something that doesn't even concern us are you with me because we're busybodies we want to get involved in things and again there's a time to get involved don't misunderstand what i'm saying but there's a time to just not now, let me read you this verse. If you don't get another verse that I read to you this morning, I want you to get this one. If you go to the book of Proverbs in the 26th chapter. <clears throat> and I want to read verse 17 to you. And this is speaking of a busybody. Proverbs 26, 17. It says, he that passeth by and meddleth with strife belonging not to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. Now think about that just for a minute. We went over this with our family the other day while we were at dinner. And we have a dog. He's a German Shepherd. He's a big dog. He's maybe 120 pounds or so. Super friendly. Never growled at anybody. Of course, that's what everybody with a dog says, right? Never growled at anybody. And this dog has been miles and miles and miles with me. If I go for a walk, he's right by my side. If I jump on the gator and I ride around our property, he's in the back seat. He, I mean, he, you know, he's, he's my buddy. But if I go out there and I take that dog and I reach down and grab his ears and I start to twist his ears, that's what it's talking about. I take that dog and I start to bear down and twist on his ears. There are three things that are going to happen. Number one, the peacefulness between our relationship is gone. I instantly become his enemy. Number two, I'm going to inflict pain on him. And number three, I'm going to put myself in a very dangerous situation. Because this animal, his instincts are going to kick in. and He's going to forget about all the times we've been out chumming around and buddy-buddy and riding around on the gator. His natural instincts are going to kick in and he's going to turn around and bite me or chew my face off. So a man that reaches down and takes a dog by his ear is going to inflict pain. 
He's going to cause division and he's going to put himself in a dangerous situation. And a busybody that passes by and sees a strife over here that is none of his business. If he goes over there and meddles in it, he's going to inflict pain. He's going to cause division and he's going to put himself in a very dangerous situation. Are you with me now? So he that passeth by and meddleth with strife belonging not to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. Don't you think that's maybe why Paul and Peter write saying we don't need to be busybodies. You've got your business. I've got my business. And for a large part of the day, they need to stay that way. Now, I'm not talking about the Good Samaritan. Understand me now, if you pass by and you see a man laying over in the ditch and he's broken and bruised and bleeding, by all means, you are instructed to go help him. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you turn on the news or you flip on Facebook and you see that somebody has had a, a, a disagreement, maybe with another person. And they get on there and they start maybe on Facebook. And they start typing it out. I want the world to know that me and so and so have a big disagreement going on. As you pass by that, that strife does not belong to you. And if you pass by that and you start meddling, you're going to cause division, you're going to cause pain, and you're going to put yourself in a dangerous situation. Are you with me? And that happens a lot. A lot. If you cut the news on and you see a situation going on thousands of miles away from here that the judicial system of that community needs to handle and you insert yourself with all your opinions, you have meddled in strife that didn't belong to you. And what's going to happen? There's going to be division. You're going to inflict pain. And you're going to put yourself in a dangerous situation. Amen. The Bible is very clear that we do not need to meddle in other people's affairs. Amen. And I told my children as we went over this verse, I said, you know, if you see two of your friends arguing and one of them walks off and then you walk up and you say, hey, what was all that about? I said, immediately. You've put yourself in a situation where you have to take sides. And I says, if you see two of your friends arguing, when they split up, you stay out of it. Because that strife does not belong to you. If you want to do that, you might as well go home and grab your German shepherd by the ear and twist his ear off. You'd probably be better off. So may we not be busybodies and be overly interested in inserting ourselves in other people's affairs. And you know, I've tried to apply that, and I'm still a work in progress. But you know, I found I'm a lot more at peace. I'm a lot more at peace if I wait for the strife to come to my doorstep instead of go out looking for it. So the next time, you know, I I did this just an experiment. Y'all know I'm not a fan of the news. But I did this as an experiment. I just cut, uh, I, I pulled up Fox News this past week, and I just looked at the major headlines. And some of the headlines, I, it, was, it was comical that this was on a national news website. I was like, why in the world is this national news? One of the, one of the uh, articles that I just laughed at was, uh, uh, again, on the very front page, 
it was an article about a woman, you know, with all the, um, um, the uh, looting and stuff that has been going on the past couple weeks. A woman, uh, there was a man that was boarding up his store. And he was putting uh, some plywood up and, and so, you know, the windows wouldn't be broken. And a lady pulls up in a Mercedes and she gets out and she goes over there and she asks, can I hold your drill and let my friend take a picture? And so she holds the drill and the friend takes the picture and there was a great uproar that this woman wanted to appear like she was helping people protect themselves from being looted. And I was like, why in the world is that national news? That's something you tell your grandma when you go visit her. It shouldn't be on Fox News. But if you, I encourage you to do that sometime. Pull it up and ask yourself as you read this article, why in the world is this any business of mine? Right. I pulled it up before and I've seen articles about brides and their, uh, their strife with their bridesmaids because their bridesmaids didn't do their hair like they were supposed to on the wedding day on a national website. And what does that do? It causes division. And the next thing you know, you find yourself on Facebook saying, here's an article, and you put your opinion, and it's like a magnet of people passing by. Whoa. Let me meddle in that. Let me meddle in that. And you divide, you cause pain, and you put yourself in a dangerous situation. Fill your days with what God said fill them with, and you won't have time for that. Now, we don't need busybodies. We need peacemakers. For the love of all that is good, we need peacemakers. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. That does not mean that makes them a son of God. But that means, that means when you see somebody making peace. That's what we call being justified by works. That other men will say that man is pursuing peace and trying to make peace. And that's a trait of a child of God. You can't make peace. One of the ingredients of peace is not being a busybody. Blessed are the peacemakers. I want you to think about back in 1 Samuel. Very quickly, let me give you a few few examples. Back in 1 Samuel, what a beautiful picture of Jesus this is. There's a lady named Abigail. The Bible says she's of a beautiful countenance and of great understanding. and She's married to a worthless piece of garbage named Nabal. And he is a mean man. He's a selfish man. And for the sake of time, David is running from Saul, but David's got an army with him. And David comes across some of Nabal's shepherds out in the wilderness. Now, an army that's on the run doesn't have a grocery store with them. And they're having to scrounge up food, and they come across Nabal and his sheep. But David doesn't harm them. And he actually watches over them and protects them for a period of time. Well, there comes a time that they need some provisions. David's army needs some provisions. So he sends men to Nabal, says, hey, we came across your shepherds in the wilderness. We didn't harm them. We didn't take any of your sheep. But we're at a point where we need some help. Can you send us some aid? And Nabal says, I don't even know who David is. Get out of my sight. And the word goes back to David. And David gathers his army up to go destroy Nabal. 
But there's a servant of Nabal that goes to his wife Abigail and he, and, she, and he tells Abigail, he says, listen, this man David did us very good out in the wilderness. He was a good man to us. And he really deserves what he's asking for. And so Abigail jumps on uh, uh, um, uh, the horse or the, the donkey or whatever and she gets all this food and all these provisions and she rides out to meet David as he's riding in to destroy Nabal. And this is what she says when she gets to David. She says, and, he, and she fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. Now Abigail was a, was a great woman. And had no sin in this matter. But she goes to David and says, Treat me like you're going to treat Nabal, but spare him. You see what she was doing? She was making peace. She went to David and said, I'm offering myself to you in the place of this person. And you give me what he deserves. That's a peacemaker. And what do we do thousands of years later? We look at Abigail and say, what a peacemaker she was. What about Paul when he writes to um, Philemon about a prisoner named Onesimus. I want to read you this if I can get to it. Onesimus was a servant of Philemon. And from all we can gather, it sounds like he ran away and he stole some stuff and he took some stuff from Philemon. Onesimus did. Well, he comes into an encounter with Paul. On one of Paul's journeys and through Paul's preaching, he begins to see the light and he's converted. And so Paul writes a letter to Philemon about Onesimus, who is on his way back to see his former master. And Paul says this, If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. That's a peacemaker. Abigail. Paul, they didn't get on the Facebook of their day and just go out there and believe, I can't believe, blah, 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 blah. They tried to make peace, right? What about the great peacemaker, Jesus? You know, in Isaiah 53, you know, we're a lot like this sometimes. A lot of times we feel like if we've been wronged, we deserve the right to cry aloud about it. If we've been wronged, we say, okay, that's the green light for me to shout from the mountaintops how wrong, I have, I mean, how wrong someone has done me. And we justify it that way. Oh, so-and-so, I mean, I, the reason I'm on Facebook typing all this is because so-and-so really did do me wrong. Well, you know, the Bible says this, He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Do you want to look like a fool in the eyes of God? Go out there and form your opinions about things before you have the whole story. The Bible tells us that's a surefire way to make yourself look foolish and shameful. And there is always more to the story than what you know. If you don't believe me, watch Dateline. You ever watch Dateline? You start watching Dateline and the way they present it, you know, uh, they're like, man, maybe there was a murder. And, 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 and they're talking about maybe a woman was murdered and they're talking to her husband. You're like, man, this was a really good guy. There's no way he did it. And then about halfway through it, bloop, the rest of the story. And you're like, oh, 
He, he did it. There's always more to the story. What is the verse in the multitude of words that wanteth not sin? Sometimes being quiet is the best thing a child of God should do. Is just be quiet. But what about Jesus? The Bible says if anybody was ever 100% innocent, it was him. And the Bible says he was led like a, a, a lamb to the slaughter. And as like a sheep before her shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. He stood before Pilate being 100% innocent. Being accused of all these things, having the power to bring down legions of angels to defend him. And to prove to the world that he's innocent. And the Bible says when he was reviled, he reviled not again. And when he was threatened, he suffered not. And what did he do? As he hung on that cross, pierced, bruised, bleeding, suffering, gasping for air, having the wrath of God poured out on him, and he deserved none of it. Did he sit up there on that cross and say, you filthy, rotten sinners, this is for you. Don't you get that? What did he say? He said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. That's a peacemaker. Maybe you have been wronged. Maybe there's things that go on in this nation that, yeah, somebody did somebody else wrong. Well, number one, I encourage you. Be careful passing by strife and meddling in it. But if that happens to come to your doorstep and you have to deal with it, I want you to think about Abigail, think about Paul, but mostly think about Jesus. Because even though he was innocent, he didn't kick up a fuss. He said, Father, forgive him. That is the ultimate picture of of a peacemaker. And that's what we need in this nation. Amen. Peacemakers. So the conclusion of the matter. You're going to have an opportunity. Very soon. To decide. Are you going to meddle in strife? Are you going to pass by and meddle in it? Or are you going to go focus on the things. That the Lord has you, wants you to focus on. Right. And when strife comes to your door. Are you going to throw a big fuss and fit about it? Or are you going to be a peacemaker? And I encourage you. I pray that you're a peacemaker. Hope that's been beneficial to you. May the Lord bless you.